Well, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, Erica and I were newly married, and we were on our way to church, of all places, and this was the perfect time to have our first fight. Now, I wish it was something that I could actually say was worth fighting for, but the reality was the whole thing was kind of silly. You see, the issue was is that Erica and I had discussed before I went to the store that I was going to the store to pick up donut holes, okay? Not whole donuts, donut holes, okay? Now, when I got there, I looked at the donut holes and I thought, I know I'm supposed to get donut holes, but the whole donuts are on sale. And if you don't know my last name, it's Van Kirk, which means I'm Dutch, which means if there's a sale on something, you buy it, okay? And so I bought the whole donuts. And then I went and picked up my wife, and I said, look, babe, I got whole donuts. And she was not impressed. That decision of me getting whole donuts led to a spectacular argument on the way to church. Of course, it really wasn't about donuts, but it was. And the best part was we were on our way to go and to try to teach students the Bible. That's when you fight the worst, right? And so um, we're on our way to church, and we're trying to work this way out, this out, and we know that we're going to be ministering in the midst of some marital conflict, and it was really difficult. And this whole um, donut hole fight has become sort of a fable in our marriage. We use it to remember how silly we can be. We use it to remember that marriage takes a lot of work, that even if you have the best of intentions, you can still hurt the other person. And there's going to be challenges, and the challenge is to learn how to respond and to react to each other the right way. And actually, conflict in marriage brings up even a greater point. You see, in our study of 1 Peter so far, we've seen over and over again how Christians are supposed to live differently. And marriage is no different. We are supposed to live differently in our marriages. As foreigners and exiles in this world, we are called to be radically different. And the passage that we're going to look at today is going to zoom in on this key relationship of life called marriage. And we're going to look at some instructions for husbands, and we're going to look at some instructions for wives, and what it looks like to live differently in your marriage. Now, I want to warn you, some of the things that Peter's going to stay, say is going to step on the toes of some of our modern sensibilities. But I want you to know and to begin to understand that the context and the background that because Peter is speaking into a certain culture, that his words weren't only challenging for us today, but they were also challenging in a different way to the people of his time. And we're going to see that this morning. And so today as we dive into 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is going to address really three different groups of people. First, he's going to zoom in on wives, and then he'll address husbands. And finally, he's going to round everything out by talking to everyone. So if you have a Bible or a mobile device, you can turn it to 1 Peter chapter 3. Right now we're going to be reading that passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you're always, you can always look on your phone or a tablet that you brought, or there are some Bibles under the seats near you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Wives... In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. 
when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way that the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way to be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. For they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is God's word. So Peter addresses wives first, and there are really two instructions for wives that he talks about, and then he gives an example that we're going to also look at. But first, it's really important to keep in mind when we talk about this passage, the context of what Peter is saying. We have to remember that we are modern readers, that we live in a modern context of gender roles in society. And so it would be easy to look at this and look at the language that Peter is using and become really dismissive of what he's saying. In other words, because of our modern mindsets and attitudes, we might assume that Peter is being incredibly chauvinistic. And the tendency might be for us to just dismiss what he's saying. But as we look at the background and the points Peter is making, I hope you'll see that there's a reason why Peter is writing such words. In fact, there's a reason why God inspired Peter to write such words. So look at what Peter says in verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Wives... You are to be submissive to your husbands. Now, this is the point in the sermon where all the guys in the room hold their breath and wonder how Pastor Bill is going to navigate telling all the women who are married to submit to their husbands, right? (laughs) But before we talk about biblical submission and what that means, I want you to keep in mind this context, okay? Peter is writing to a Christian community that lives in a pagan culture that is vastly different than them in values. Remember, remember, he has just referred to them as strangers and exiles in the previous chapter. They are different, and what Peter is telling them is going to be different than the culture around them. The very fact that Peter takes the time to address wives specifically would probably be surprising to the people of the time and culture. In this society, women were expected to follow the religion of their husbands. They weren't seen as autonomous, free individuals at all, but more of an extension of the husbands. That's what the culture believed. But Peter here is focusing on women whose husbands were not Christians. 
they were believers and their husbands weren't. And he addresses them as independent moral agents whose decision to turn to Christ he is supporting. And he wants to encourage them in their goal to win their husbands over for Jesus. The passage is not meant to be demeaning or put women in their place somehow. It's supposed to be actually empowering. In fact, lady, we're going to see in this passage that he even calls women co-heirs with their husband, equals in God's kingdom. That's a revolutionary idea for that time in that place in society. And so don't just hear the word submit and turn it off. Peter is actually affirming wives' faith, and he's instructing them how to act if they are to win their husbands to Jesus. You know, I've taught on this passage a number of times before, and we've had women write negative feedback because just because of the word submission. But if you are fixated on just the word submission, you might be missing the point. Because Peter's real point is this. One of the most powerful tools in the toolbox that women have in regards to affecting their husband's behavior is the respect and the deference they show their husband through their own behavior. Peter is saying that it matters as a Christian wife how you treat your husband, especially a non-believing husband. Now, I don't want to get too hung up on this word submit, but I do want you to consider something, especially if you are offended by him using this, this word. A lot of times we think of the word submit, and we tend to think that it means that women are of less importance, or they're of less value, or they have less say. Or they think that it's saying that women should be like slaves to their husband, and they should always be agreeable. The happy little housewife, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, who just joyfully serves and keeps her mouth quiet. That is not the picture of biblical submission at all. Jesus is saying or Jesus is actually the perfect example of submission. Jesus himself is. There's a great paragraph about Jesus in Philippians 2, 5 through 8 that says this. If in your relationships with one another have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says about Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing By taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Even though Jesus is God himself, even though he is equal to God the Father in every way, he chooses to be obedient to the Father. Jesus chooses submission. Now let me ask you a question. Because Jesus chose submission... In his relationship to the Father, does that diminish his value or his role at all? No. Jesus is not less than because he submits. He is still fully God. He is still the Lion of Judah. The Bible says that Jesus created all things and by him all things hold together. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And it's no less so because he's chosen to submit to God the Father. When Peter says wives should submit to their husbands, it's not about degrading yourself or becoming lesser than. It's about respecting your husband's role in the relationship. It's about willingly letting him take the lead and showing him by your example what it means to follow Jesus. It's about trusting That God is already doing a work in your husband's heart. And so you can give up some control. Not because you always trust every decision of your husband, but because you trust God Almighty. 
Now, I know what the counter-argument to this is, if you're listening this morning. Jesus is submitting to God the Father, and that makes sense because God is perfect. It's easier to submit to someone who's perfect. My husband is definitely not perfect, and I know it. And the big question every wife could ask is this. What if my husband takes advantage of my submission? And that's a valid point. And it brings up a caveat to submission that I think is really important to bring up anytime we talk about it in relationship to a husband and a wife in a Christian marriage. Submission does not mean that you follow your husband into sin. Your first responsibility is always with God. And so your husband doing something sinful and pulling you into that, you are not required to submit in that situation. You submit to God first. This includes abuse. If you are in an abusive situation, getting out of that situation is not violating God's command to submission. Can I be any more clear? You need to hear this. If you are in an abusive situation, getting out of that situation is not violating God's command to submission. You are not required to submit when your husband is sinning that way. Along with that, submission to your husband is to your husband. It's not to all men, and it's always willing on your part. It's never forced. In other words, you are not called biblically to submit to just some random guys in your life who are domineering. If you are being forced into submission, that's not a good situation either, and you should get out. Husbands are never called in Scripture to make their wives submit. Husbands, you are called to love your wife. She has to submit willingly as a choice on her part. Husbands, you're called to love your wife. Now, we could do a whole sermon just on submission easily, but I want to make sure we keep the context of this passage in mind. While the call to submit applies to all wives, and we see that elsewhere in Scripture, in this passage, it specifically addresses wives who have unbelieving husbands. And so Peter tells them to act in such a way to win them over to Christ. And the quick and simple truth is this, that it is a wife's behavior that has the biggest influence on her husband. You can't nag or manipulate your husband to Jesus. It's only done through your purity and your reverence and your obedience to Christ. Let me give you an example. For many years uh, together, Erica and I had struggled to set aside a time to pray on a consistent basis. I knew that I was supposed to be the leader, right? I knew that I was supposed to lead the charge and we were supposed to pray and we should be praying all the time. I get it and I knew I was supposed to. And yet it was hard to establish it. It felt like it was never the right time, right? Or we would start it and then it would stop and those sorts of things. Well, Erica started to really grow in her own spiritual maturity in prayer. And then because of that, she initiated prayer right before we went to bed. And as a husband who loves his wife, I wasn't just going to have her carry this burden of making sure we pray every night on her own. I couldn't. I felt compelled to jump in and to participate. And then I began to contribute in a significant way. And eventually it became that I'm the one who now initiates it and leads the prayer time with my spouse. Listen, Erica didn't nag me about it. She didn't manipulate me into it. She didn't try to shame me for not doing it. Instead, she helped me rise to the occasion by doing it herself. Wives, it is through your purity and your pursuit of Jesus that you can best influence your husband. The other command here is about eternal beauty. Look at verse 3. 
Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, this is not saying that you're not allowed to wear makeup and jewelry like all the ladies are slipping off their rings and put them in their pocket. No, that's not it. It's saying that your character and your inner faith is where your true beauty is supposed to come from. Have you ever met somebody in your life who is really quiet and, and strong and steadfast in faith and it just exudes from them? Like it just comes out of their soul. Um, a lot of times it's older people who have been with Christ for a long time. They've gone through thick and thin with Jesus. You know, I knew this guy. He worked at this camp that I worked at. His name was Jim. And whenever he was in the room, he wasn't the guy who had to have all the attention all the time. And he wasn't the guy who was like, me, 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 and everyone look at me and how great I am and how wise I am and all this other stuff. He was the guy who walked in and quietly you just knew that he loved Jesus. Quietly you just knew that he had this gentle spirit that he was deeply committed to God. I think this is what Peter is getting at for wives. A gentle spirit that is deeply committed to God. There are many spring-like women, younger and older, who are like this. And they're all, can I tell you, they're all different personality types. They're all different personality types. It doesn't mean you can't be boisterous. It doesn't mean you can't be humble and quiet. It just means that in the depth of your soul, you have this connection and this hope in Jesus that exudes through your body and to the other people around you. The last part of this passage for wives gives an example of women in the Old Testament who had this type of faith and showed regard for her husband. Look at verse 5. For this is the way the holy women in the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed her husband and called him Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. You know, who knew that my wife was supposed to go around calling me Lord? Like, Lord William, Lord William, can I get you some butter? You know, like, why? Yes, I would love some butter, right? I'm kidding. In our culture, we might not use the word Lord necessarily. We might translate it something like sir. It's a term of respect that, uh, that Sarah was giving her husband. Like when a waiter gives you your food and he says like, there you go, sir. It's a term of respect. And the point is, is that Sarah showed Abraham regard and respect when she addressed him. She followed his lead. Like when Abraham gets called by God out of his, the land of his forefathers to go to a new land, Sarah followed. When Abraham lets his nephew Lot just take the best land, he, he, Sarah's there and she's like, okay. She's following Abraham's lead. When Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain to, take, to make a sacrifice. She followed his lead and let it happen. All of those situations are insanely difficult to think about letting your husband lead in. And yet, instead of giving in to fear, she followed the leading of her husband. Submitting and having a gentle, quiet, strong faith and showing regard for your husband is not about you being less you. It's not about putting you in a box or diminishing your worth in any way. It's about reflecting Jesus' relationship with his church. You know, Jesus loves his church even unto death. And so the church follows and submits to Jesus. This is the picture of marriage. 
Husbands, you are called to love your wife even unto death. And wives, you are called to follow your husbands. Let's move on to what Peter says about husbands. Verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them as respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know, I find this passage really funny because Peter just spent six verses talking to the wives and now he spends one verse talking to the husbands. I don't think it's because Peter thinks that women need a lot more instruction. I think it's because he understands that men are going to only be able to understand one verse, right? (laughs) And the really interesting thing here, though, is that just like for wives, even though he just uses one verse, there's still two commands in it, okay? And look at what he says. Here's, here's command number one. Peter tells husbands that they are to be considerate as they live with their wives. Another translation says that husbands should live with their wives in an understanding way. Husbands, listen. Your call is to learn all you can about your wife and how she works and to take it into account as you live with her. It's an idea of taking good and loving care of her, responding to her needs and helping her to be who God has created her to be. It's about putting her before yourself. It's about serving here and learning from your mistakes and getting better at relating to her. It's all part of it. For me, there's just too many examples to choose from about how I'm still really just trying to do this, okay? Uh, one recent example is I took my, date, my wife on a date and we drop off our kids at the sitters, and uh, we go to th- we're on our way to the restaurant, and I say, uh, I say to Erica, uh, have you heard about the stock market? Because it was last week where two days in a row, or two weeks ago, or two days in a row, the stock market was going down. And I said, you know, some people believe that this could be the beginning of the next financial crisis. I'm like, wouldn't it be crazy if this was like the Great Depression? And she just looked at me like, why are you talking to me about this? Like, we are going on a date. You were supposed to be romantic, right? Now, I was literally just making conversation. But guess what women do not want to hear on a date with their husbands? The Great Depression, okay? I should have known that by the word depression, okay? Oh, you'd be surprised. I have a lot of stories like that. Like when we decided to watch a a movie on our honeymoon, and I found this great World War II movie. (laughs) And I thought it was like, I don't know why I thought this now, but I thought it was like this whimsical idea, like this whimsical, like fun idea. It was the boy in striped pajamas, okay? It's a Holocaust movie, okay? (laughs) I thought that would get more laughs, but both services, everyone was like, you idiot. (laughs) The point is, I clearly need to learn to live with my wife in an understanding way. All you are going to go home and pray for Erica, okay? (laughs) Live with your wife in an understanding way. Learn what she likes. Be romantic. Find ways to build her up and to be close with her. The second imperative or command that uh, Peter gives is that men should treat their wives with respect. Look what he says. And treat them respect, with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gl- gracious gift of life. I want to say up front that Peter says these words, weaker partner. And that kind of like hair stands up on the back of our Red flag. Why are you calling women weaker? 
right? He doesn't mean that women are any less important than men. He's talking about physical strength. If you were to take 20 women from the congregation right now and 20 men, and you were to do a tug of war right here where the communion table is, the chances are is that the men would easily overpower the women. In fact, the average guy is stronger than the average woman, the average woman. That's just a fact of life. Peter is saying that men should take this into consideration and show great respect for their wives. This is what he means by this. Listen, you guys need to hear this. This is super important. Men, we are never, ever, ever supposed to use our physical strength or force to intimidate women in our lives. Ever. There is no place for that in marriage. Ever. Our strength is given to us to provide and to protect and to lead our families well. Your wife's physical weakness does not mean that she's any less valuable than you are. Peter explicitly says in this passage that she's a co-heir with you in Christ. Before God, men and women are on equal footing. We receive the same inheritance. The roles are different, but the value and the worth is the same. Treat your wives as an heir and with full respect. Listen to her. And Peter gives a good reason why. He says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is fascinating. Nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, your relationship with your wife and how you're treating her is in direct correlation with your relationship with God. You can't be close to God and treating your wife poorly at the same time. In order to be following God effectively and communing with him in prayer, you must be doing a good job of living with your wife and living with her in an understanding way. Husbands, never stop learning to live with your wives in an understanding way. Always cherish and love them with great respect, remembering that they are not at all inferior to you before God. In fact, they are your co-heirs in Christ. And guy to guy, here's a really important tip that you need to take away today. Do not talk about the Great Depression on your next date, okay? All right, that leads us to the last section, which is really addressed to everyone. Look at what Peter says in verse 8. Finally, all to you be like... Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, uh, love one another, be compassionate and humble. The word finally here in this section is really Peter summing everything up. Remember, he started this section by talking about um, submitting to political authority and uh, slaves submitting to your masters and and wives um, submitting to your husbands and husbands living with your wife and all of these things. And now he's going to bring it all together. And he's going to give this last bit of advice for all Christians. And this is something for everyone this morning. In this um, verse, in, in this part of the verse, he has five attitudes or qualities that all Christians are supposed to focus on. So how should you be relating to everyone in your life, including slaves, uh, wives, husbands, everything, all of it? How should you be relating to people? Well, here's what he says. The first one is, you should be like-minded. You should be like-minded. Another translation would use the word harmonious. Now, I don't sing very well. I'm, I'm terrible. Like, honestly, this is funny. I will get up on a Sunday morning, and we'll start singing, and I can hear. Like, it's not a, it's not a matter of me thinking, like, I'm a good singer. It's like I can hear that I'm not singing in tune, but I just can't change it. I don't know what's wrong with me, right? And so that's me. But what's cool about um, singing is that 
people can actually sing different tunes or different parts, and even though they're different, those parts can come together and they can harmonize. Uh, and so as husbands and wives and as Christ followers, we're not going to come at every situation with the same idea. We're not going to all have the same part in the church. We are going to be different, but guess what? We're still supposed to harmonize with each other. The things that make us different should not divide us. They should bring us together. We are all for Christ and his kingdom together. The second one he talks about is being sympathetic. And sympathetic means um, suffering with another person by entering into and sharing the feelings of that suffering. It's different than having compassion for someone uh, from a distance. It's not just looking at someone and saying like, oh, I feel bad for them. It's actually entering into suffering with somebody else. And that's important for us to do as the body of Christ. I need to learn this better. Sometimes, my, sometimes I come home and my wife m- might be upset about something that happened. And uh, she's like telling me and I'm getting frustrated because I'm like, I don't understand. And then she's like, why won't you just hug me? Right? Because she needs somebody to sympathize with her. I'm still learning how to do that. But we need to do that in the body of Christ. To enter into people's suffering and to suffer with them and to feel what they feel. Another one is love one another. Now, the original word here is Philadelphia, which if you know that name of that city, it means it's the city of brotherly love, okay? And it's a type of love that is really present and it's supportive and it's mutual. That's really the idea behind it. Um, Last weekend, uh, a few friends and I went to this thing that we call mancation. And we went to this cabin. It had no running water. It had gas lanterns and it was powered by a generator. And basically all we did was eat steak and play cards, okay? It was glorious. Now, those are the guys in my life that I can rely on. Those are the guys that are there with me through thick and thin. They challenge me. They support me. They hold me accountable. They pray for me. There is real brotherly love amongst us. And that is the type of love that this is talking about. We need to have this type of love in our congregation, in our church, that we're in the trenches together. Eating steak, preferably. Okay? The next one is compassion. But in Greek, uh, well, this word really means kind-hearted or affectionate, okay? So compassion can mean kind-hearted or affectionate. In fact, some of the other translations translate it that way. And the idea is that we are supposed to actually have warm regard for one another. You should, you should feel like you care about the people who you're going to church with. If you're coming and you're not emotionally connecting, there's something wrong there. The next one is humble. And that's basically putting someone else's needs before your own. We should be humble. And so Peter is saying that every Christian should have these attitudes and these qualities as the part of their relationship with other believers. I, I, just, just take a second. Think about your relationships right now. Think about the relationship with your spouse or maybe with your extended family or with your kids or with your small group or with other people in church. When you look at that list that Peter is telling you to, to have, are you doing well? Are you doing well at living that out with the relationships in your life? Are you living those qualities out? You might have some work to do. I know I do. I definitely have some work to do in that area. But Peter doesn't just stop there. He actually specifically goes on to call us to act differently when people are harming us. Look at verse 9. 
Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You know, the enemy of God, the devil, uh, he returns evil for good. So when Satan gets good, he responds with evil, okay? That's kind of the picture of Satan. And humans are a little bit different. Humans temper that a little bit. And instead, if they receive evil, they get evil, right? They might respond with good and good, but if they get evil, they're going to respond with evil. Like, if somebody's nice to me, I'm going to be nice back. But if they're evil to me, I'm going to be evil back to them. But Jesus had a completely different way altogether. And what Jesus calls us to do is to return good for evil, when we are, when there is evil that is put upon us, we are to respond with good. Do you see how that's different than the world that we live in? Our culture does not want to respond that way. Have you been watching the news? Right? In politics, it's just tit for tat, and it's going back and forth, back and forth, and they're just trying to find ways to outdo each other. We are called to live differently. When somebody comes after us, we are to respond with goodness and kindness and love towards them. That's what we're called to do. And if you do that, you will look different than the people of this world. And so Peter ends this section with a a psalm, and he says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter is telling us what it looks like to be on the side of good. You want a good life? Don't speak evil in lies. Do good towards people and pursue peace. Those who follow God in this way will have intimacy with God, and those who don't, won't. So in closing, Peter would tell us this morning, Wives, your most effective tool in the toolbox to affect your husband's behavior is the respect and the regard that you show him as you pursue Jesus. Husbands, you should always be learning about your wife and how to nurture and love and care for her in an understanding way because she's your equal in God's sight. In everyone, you're supposed to have a specific attitude in your relationships that's different than this world. You're supposed to respond with, when, you, when evil is done against you, you're supposed to respond with love, and with kindness. Why? Because the people who live this way will have a life and a relationship with God that he intends them to have. Let's pray. God, we know that your truth and the way that Peter put things this morning does not always drive with our modern sensibilities about gender roles in marriage. We acknowledge that right now, but we know that your word is perfectly true. And we know that you call us to look different than the world around us. You call us to relate to each other differently because we are in God's family. Lord, we pray for the strength to do that. We pray for the trust to do that. Lord, would you help us to trust you? Would you help wives to trust you when they have to submit to their husbands, even sometimes when they don't agree with every decision? Lord, would you help husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way, to actually work at understanding how to live and love their wife well? Would you help us to respect them well? Lord, we pray for everyone that you would give us the attitude and the mind of Christ 
that always responds to evil with good. Lord, we pray that you would work and move in us to change us to be like the way your word says we should be. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.